0: Hello again, everybody. This is Christian Massar with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. Today, what we are going to be looking at is the site of Masada. Not, not so much about the site itself, but the memory of it and the memory of that event. Masada, of course, was the place where the some diehard sikari uh, Jewish rebels, rebelling against the Roman Empire in the first century A.D. Um, stood out against the held out against this Roman siege and ended up committing suicide but Masada became a very important part of Israeli and Jewish historical memory in many ways and we'll be talking a little bit about that but also some of the problems with this memory so we will be going into that and let's get on with the episode. The first Jewish revolt lasted from the 60s to the 70s AD, and it was started when Jewish rebels rebelled against the ruling Roman Empire in modern-day Israel. There are many, uh, many famous uh, incidents from this, including the siege of Jerusalem, in which uh, Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed, and um, also... the one we're going to be talking about today is the destruction or the capitulation of Masada. And Masada was a fortress where, uh, as I mentioned in the, just in the intro there, where some uh, Jewish rebels held up there and against the Roman besiegers and they committed, uh, committed suicide. But probably the most important part of of Masada is the memory that was created from this uh, from this event and the creation of this memory took many years and it involved many memory workers uh, which was a term coined by Robert Payne when looking at this this topic Masada's mindscape can be looked at through a number of different lenses and first there's a whole body of narrative literature that surrounds the place and also, secondly, Masada is a is a kind of a sacred or mythical place, play, making it a physical site of memory. And thirdly, through though historical events did occur at Masada, some details are forgotten, making the place more suitable, if we must say, for society to to remember it as a a place of pride. Um, and through the study of Masada, we can learn that memories can sort of change over time as the years separate um, those memories from the actual event. First, we should go briefly over the historical account of Masada, which is uh, famous written by the famous uh, Josephus Flavius. And Josephus Flavius wrote uh, an account of the, besie- um, the Roman siege of Masada, and it's, it's the main one we have, really. Um, Josephus was originally was a Jew originally named Joseph ben Matityahu, and he supported the Jewish revolt against Rome initially. But in 67 AD, he surrendered to the Romans, and afterwards he joined them, even adopting a Romanized name of Josephus. His history of the Jewish revolt tells us that the Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem and the Second Temple in the year 70. The fortress of Masada came later. Remaining Jewish rebels, known as the Sicarii, fled to this site, which the Romans then blockaded. Trapped, the Sicarii decided to commit collective suicide in the months between March and April, ni- April seventy-three. And there are some problems with Josephus' historical, historical narrative, as there are with many ancient um, ancient texts. Nachman Ben Yahud suggests that Josephus was not even at the siege of the fortress. Josephus also had to rely on secondary sources such as army reports and diaries. And most historians have to use well and you know, he's in the situation of most historians. Many historians do have to sometimes use secondhand information when writing or Or if they use a primary source, should use primary sources as much as possible. But even then, you know, what kind of bias do these primary sources have? You know, we always always do come across those problems. And sometimes we do rely on other other historians' research and, and so on like this. So we do often use secondary sources, absolutely. So I guess we shouldn't be too terribly hard on Josephus for this. But then Josephus also included the speeches of Ben Yer, who was the... Supposed commander of the Sicarii at Masada, and Joseph's story is criticized for using Benièr's speech, and um, and he's even accused of writing these speeches himself. and And again, this is this is a common thing. Um, you kind of have this wing of uh, history, the Whiggish history, where it talks about great men and all this. And sometimes you read these books, and it's like this person said this, this person said that and unless there's an actual record of them saying this it's you know this is kind of an attempted at dramatization making this um, making making this seem real we're trying to bring history to life but did that person actually say it like that right so that's a common thing um, archaeology does offer some support for Josephus' story as we will we will see later um, but at the same time also um, Regardless of the problems that Josephus came across when trying to write his account or the problems with his account, um, what other sources do we have other than than his? (laughs) Josephus said that a so-called justice from Tiberius wrote another history of the first Jewish revolt, but sadly we do not have copies of this account surviving today. Thus, Josephus is our only real source on Masada. Um... These facts do not mean, though, that it's completely accurate or perfect. So now that's just some historical background. Masada was a place of uh, that was besieged by the Romans. Uh, Jewish rebels uh, committed suicide there, and and so that's the basic basic narrative during during the first Jewish revolt against the Roman Empire. So now that we have that background, what about the Masada narrative that led to the memory? Uh, Nachman ben Yehuda says that this narrative is a creation of the 20th century especially during the 1920s and 40s and nowadays israeli books and pamphlets are filled with the masada story making it a very popular topic masada is indeed a literary phenomenon neil asher silberman notes that some jewish literature during the rabbinic period uh, also pointed back to the jewish revolt so the rabbinic period of course being after the temple was destroyed, Judaism becomes this um, a rabbinic Jew, uh, religion where the religion centers around, uh, in many ways, rabbis at a, at a synagogue. So, so Silverman says that after Masada, there was much Jewish resentment towards the Roman authorities, of course. And in fact, this led, eventually led to another revolt in the second century. Uh, after the Roman, after the rebels were crushed in the first rebellion, Romans slandered the Jewish people, according to Soberman. In addition to exerting great control over their lives, as empires tend to do, in Jewish literature there emerged uh, emerged a, a new genre of texts in which will, rabbis hid in the wilderness from from Roman oppressors, and these. These texts, according to Silverman, be, uh, became part of a memory in which historicity was not at all important. It's you know, it is hard to tell what the Jewish non-literary people felt literati felt about um, about these topics, but traces of the revolt um, were, were stuck in Jewish memory and even there were even some and even by medieval times. There were some mystical and kabbalistic texts. Kabbalah is a, kind of a mystical form of Judaism. Uh, kabbalistic texts pointed pointed back to Masada, and a cultural theme emerged in which Jews were fighting in an in a, quote at existential confrontation with evil and oppressors. So there was kind of a, a psycho literary effect in a way, and it created this this memory, and. Using biblical era Israel as an example, a scholar Ehud ben Zvi says that literature is crucial to forming a social memory in literary societies. And so with these stories, with these literatures coming, uh, with these pieces of literature um, being written and remembered, pointing back to Masada, Masada starts to form a very, liter- a very strong place in um, post-rebellion uh, uh, Jewish memory. And it was this literature that created a narrative of Masada. It was art, not science, that Masada made that made Masada the great site of memory it is today. And the literature of the fortress kind of paralleled the Zionist, Zionist movement. Um, by the, by the, 20, in the 20th century, in 1927, there was a poem written called Masada. And in the poem, the hero climbs the arduous mountain path up to Masada. But he finally gets to the top, and in a patriotic fervor, he states, Never again shall Masada fall. In the words of Robert Payne, Masada becomes Zion. And so Masada becomes a holy site of national destiny. Um, This poem would fit into the literature which Silberman had mentioned that we just we just talked about as well the text which said that the Jewish people were sort of fighting for survival in a hostile evil world. Nachman Ben Yehuda says that when the Zionist movement was was starting in the 1880s, the Jewish people needed a national myth around which they could build an identity. And such a memory would be important for the. You'll hear it different different ways, but you'll hear Jewish displacement or Jewish diaspora, be Jewish people living outside of their traditional ancient ancient homeland in what is now modern day Israel, and in places such as Poland and Tsarist Russia, Jews were being oppressed and and uh, and persecuted, and a national memory with the help of of. Uh, such as poetry that we that we just looked at and, and other literature, it would provide an escape from this uh, from this reality, this sad reality and they also needed to um, they were also facing the danger of anti-jewish fascism as well. So at this time. so this literature is very important trying to create a memory of this is this is our true home, this is where we can go. And the first revolt, and Masada became this very memory. In this narrative, the Jewish people stood strong against a Gentile enemy at the times of Masada, against the Romans, and this enemy that threatened their faith in their very lives. Masada was the high point of this memory, and it was a moment that restored national pride. According, again, to Neil Silberman, before the creation of the Jewish state of Israel in 1948, the Jews were... They, they were people who had lost their pride and strength according according to this according to this narrative and again considering the history of of persecution against Jews in in Europe um in Russia in Germany and and Poland and places like that there's certainly certainly understandable why there there would be this need to have a have a memory of of something where you know the there, there, was, there was strength, and there was standing against persecution. When Israel suddenly came to exist, the Arab nations, which were hostile to the new state around it um, in, in their midst, the, the, these Arab nations essentially became a, a new Rome, in a way, according to Silverman, And Israel's new enemies were equated with the villains, the, the Romans, in the memory of the first revolt. Now, about archaeology, Soberman notes that Masada was first, quote, rediscovered in 1838 after it had been, in, in his words, lost for almost 2,000 years. In the 1920s, archaeological missions were carried out on the site of Masada. Then, from October 1963 to April 1965, the Israeli archaeolo- archaeologist Yigal Yadin sc- scoured the fortress site. Yadin did give uh, an amount of legitimacy to the Masada narrative. For example, he did prove that the Asaj, a siege had occurred there. And most, more importantly, these digs rediscovered Masada again in a way and transferred the literary and emotional energy of its narrative to the site. This solidified Masada's memory by associating it with an actual place, with some tangible evidence. So this provided some cultural legitimacy. Yadin's expedition discovered a synagogue and a mikveh, or a ritual, religious ritual bath. And this mikveh was described as being quote perfect. So this added an extra meaning. Um, they the meaning that this meaning that the besieged rebels were quote unquote true Jews that meticulously followed religious law. Through archaeology, Masada was repossessed, and it could be used as a tool to legitimize the Israeli state. Yadin's work made the site a monument. It became the main symbol of Jewish patriotism, even though the first revolt did, did it affect other sites. We've mentioned Jerusalem as well, but also Gamla and Yodafat were also, um, also seen uh, or also um, sites of, of this war. Again, between the Jewish rebels and the Romans. But Masada is the one that is most famous and most visited. And a military unit's graduating class um, took their oaths of allegiance there, supposedly echoing the 1927 poem with the words, Masada shall not fall again. Masada also became a popular excursion site. The trek to the fortress is physically demanding, as the poem indicated those who made make the trip could can identify with the Sakari rebels as well and it makes masada a physically uh, as well as an emotional reality for for people coming there and such pilgrimages can come to be constantly repeated with tourists and and further ingraining memory of the site and spreading it around the world according to this memory the romans or israel's other enemies are are villains and the jewish rebels are heroes and many might sympathize with the narrative of self-sacrifice or death before defeat the ancient fortress morphed into a modern political tool a masada complex had been formed in israel a memory that was so strong it permeated israeli society When the Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir was criticized for this in 1973, she admitted that her country did indeed have a Masada complex. But they also had other complexes, she said, involving the Romans, the Nazis, and the pogroms. Essentially, she was saying that the Romans, the Nazis, and the Europeans have persecuted us for millennia. No wonder we have a Masada complex this can be perceived as an attempt to try and legitimize israel politically and after all another israeli prime minister menachem begin uh, he also used masada to emphasize the jewish people's sufferings but this time he also warned that these beleaguered people now had an army so we see how the memory how masada has changed over the years first the there we have some literary accounts, such as, such as poetry and medieval literature or before that as well and and so literature kept it kept it alive and it, and then also starting in 1838 with the interest in archeo- with archaeological interest in the in the site and um, also in the 60s as well it became a physical site of memory it, was a, it became a sacred space, so you, uh, so to speak, which, which people could see, touch, and experience. Through the rediscovery of archaeological digs, Masada became a part of national identity, and it was also used for political or diplomatic advantage, as we saw with Golda Meir and Big In, using it as a way of saying, like, this is this is our nation. This is we have um, been persecuted in the past, and we're not gonna try and let that happen happen again. However, some do not agree with this national narrative surrounding Masada. First, there are the archaeological objections. For one thing, uh, Yadin's work in the 1960s really didn't reveal anything anything really new. Um also uh, Yigal Yadin saw the uh, the quote unquote perfect ritual mikveh tub as a sign of the site's Jewishness and the uh, kind of religiosity of its defenders. But between the era of Mosaic law and the time of the First Revolt, the mikveh had had changed. Perhaps the mikveh at uh, Masada was not so perfect after all. If we're comparing it to the standard set in Mosaic the kind of the mosaic period. Finally, what about the supposed 960 corpses, which Josephus had mentioned in his story of the, of the siege? Yadin admitted that he only found three skeletons, which he believed to be the remains of some of the fortress's defenders. But he tried to suggest that, that the Romans, who established a garrison nearby, probably disposed of the bodies for sanitary, sanitary reasons. Yadin was also criticized, however, for his use of Josephus' history of the revolt. Now, we've already talked about some of the problems with Josephus' text, and also remember that that's about the only source that we have, a original source about Masada. So, Yadin cannot necessarily be faulted for, for using it. Um, but he also used an 18th century English translation of Josephus' work, which had stylistic problems. Uh, Parts of it also, parts of it resembled English melodrama, reducing its trustworthiness. This translation was also compiled by William Whiston, whose teacher was Sir Isaac Newton. Whiston was a mathematician, not an historian. And Yadin himself was also not an historian of the era of the revolt, so he could easily have misinterpreted um, his findings, such as the issue uh, around the mikveh. So it's worth mentioning uh, Pierre Nora's idea of lieu de mémoire. I've addressed this before in um, in my uh, podcast about the memory of of uh, of World War II in the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, but so Nora suggested that lieu de mémoire or places of memory are actually breaks with the past. So places like Basada do not represent true memories of something that actually happened in the past. They thus conform counterfactual memories. And Nora argued that monuments are all that is left of memory, even though they are not true sites of memory or are sites of a of an absolutely perfectly preserved memory. So it, so places become can become mythologized. Yes, an event here happened, but is this an actual a true memory of what actually happened in the past? So that was well, that was Nora's idea. Of um, of Lure de mémoire, they can they yes, there is there is a form of memory, but is it an actual true source of um, of, me- of remembrance? And the memory of Masada did not only have issues associated with the space. There's another issue of, of history. At the time of the first revolt, not all Jews supported it. Silberman writes that after the conflict was over, some Jews wanted to integrate uh, their land, Israel, into the Roman Empire, or at least they wanted to enjoy its benefits. And of course, it's impossible to go back in time and ask everybody, did you agree with this rebellion? Did (laughs) Did you do this? But Silberman even notes that some in the Jewish aristocracy collaborated with the Romans. After all, the Roman system of when they're conquering a, a different people, they try to get uh, rulers, local rulers from that from that nation, and actually rule kind of kind of in their place, like King like King Herod, for example, over um, over the Jews during that during their period there as well. And apparently, even the rebels were split into different factions. They were split between the Sicarii, those at Masada, and the Zealots. The latter faction was political, while the Sicarii, known, also known as daggermen, hated politics, seeing as it as an obstacle to oneness with God. This was hardly a united front against Rome, and it would be hard to try and, and build a national narrative around this, considering that these factions were even fighting and, and bickering uh, with each other. Perhaps even worse is the fact that the Sicarii at Masada died by mass suicide, not a glorious death at the hands of a powerful enemy. So, should suicide be part of national identity and pride? Now, of course, then we get into different, um, different debates. Like during World War II, kamikaze pilots were, were honored as well. But suicide itself has been a subject of ethical debate in Judaism. So, was the Sicarii mass suicide really an acceptable alternative to surrendering to the Gentile, idolatrous Romans? So, the Sicarii may have been acting through their own religious conviction, but many would say that they were rather unorthodox. Ben-Gurion disliked Masada as a place of memory, even though he was a patriot who worked to create the, the, the State of Israel come, uh, in the first place in 1948. He thought that the Sicarii mass suicide was foolish, and he thought that the rebellion was a stupid idea in the first place. He feared that if the Jewish patriots of his day hearkened back to Masada, they, would, they could lose credibility. Instead, Gurion wanted to form a memory based on the Jewish sacred texts, not a modern patriotic um, idea of, of, of an old fortress. He figured that King David and other great biblical heroes would be the ideal magnets of Israel of Israeli memory. There was also we're kind of touching on the ethics here and and religion a little bit, but remember I just touched on the talked about the idea of of suicide bringing up ethical questions in Judaism, but there was also religious consternation over the commemoration of Masada itself, and some were concerned about the so-called cult of Masada. And the Masada complex reminded them, reminded these people concerned about this, reminded them of paganism associated with sacred spaces. Going back to the, to the thoughts of Robert Payne, he, he notes that there were there were some areas in, in some periods where Masada wasn't really touched on as a, as a place of, of memory. For example, he points to the Talmud, or collections of Jewish religious commentary, of post-Rabbinic post-revolt Rabbinic Judaism, and it didn't. The Talmud did not mention the Masada site for centuries. Payne also suggests that Rabbinic Judaism was ideologically opposed to the nationalistic rebels at Masada. It was also timeless in that in the past that the past was in reality in the present. Historiography was not necessary for rabbinic Judaism, for their memory of the past was always with them. So this so, so this is kind of a kind of a weird thing, but so the idea, the um this idea that kind of spurned heroics and sites of memory. The the reason for this is that rabbinic Jews, according to Paine, considered themselves to be God's chosen people. So for them, the Holy Land had more of a the Holy Land of 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 Israel, their ancestral homeland. Um, had it, it had a spiritual meaning. It was part of a sort of a uh, religious heritage or memory of a of a hopeful future. So, so it was kind of timeless. We always have this Holy Land with us. We always have this tradition. This. Mosaic tradition. We have all of these things with us, so we don't need places like Masada. We don't need these cults of Masada. We don't need this Masada complex pointing to a specific place in in the past that we that we um, need to build ourselves around. We have an identity in in our relationship to to God as as chosen people. We have this relationship with um, with with rabbinic tradition or or law and things like this. So um so that was that was Robert Payne's idea. So this is this is one of the reasons why Masada wasn't see wasn't accepted by all as a as a as a place on which as a primary place around which to build memory. Our memory is timeless. The the these people are saying so. It's um so it's very interesting. So you get some who are focusing on Masada as a place of memory. We need to remember this. We need to remember that. Um, what happened here? We they fought against the Romans. They did this, and it's and it becomes a patriotic thing. While some in the rabbinic tradition are saying, well, we don't need that. We have we have the texts. We have um, the idea of being God's chosen people—we have we have these things. So why do we need a place, right? Finally, we also see forgetfulness at work in the memory of Masada. The story's nasty and potentially unpleasant details, such as the idea of mass suicide and and um, and things like that, are are omitted or forgotten. Historically, the Sakari faction fled to Masada after a rival Jewish sect murdered their leader, Manahem. After this, the faction attacked Ein Gedi and other nearby settlements, supposedly massacring more than 700 people. The Sakari, who have been labeled as by some as heretical terrorists, were known to attack those who disagreed with their, their own vision of, quote, oneness with God. And... Let's also look at the 6th commandment. So there was the debate about the idea of mass suicide, but what about what about murder? In the 6th commandment in in the in Jewish Jewish religion and Jewish tradition, thou shalt not murder. So someone objecting to the memory of Masada might might bring this up if the Sicarii are these violent and kind of bloody you know, you know, um, you know, they're called daggermen. So do we want to build our memory around around these people at Masada at a place where they didn't even defeat the Romans? They committed suicide. Um so so the, the, so that's what an interesting question. Um but these kinds of details are forgotten in the Masada narrative. Uh these ideas of Sakari being being, um, being bloody and, and assassins and so on and things like that. And attacking rivals, rival Jewish factions and so on. Um, and in the Masada narrative, you don't hear about the Sakari going and and attacking nearby towns and such incidents are, are erased, right? So recall too that Yadin called the defenders of Masada, uh, the Sakkari, true Jews because they had a synagogue there and a, quote, perfect mikveh. So, in conclusion, we have studied how a traumatic event, the destruction of Vasara, can become such an important part of national identity. Such events can be memorialized in the literature and the sanctification of a physical space. This is especially true if the culture remembering the event feels pressed on upon by all sides as were um, the J- Jewish people after after the revolt. Remember again, um, there's there's good reason why a a memory would form in Jewish culture around this idea of Masada because again, we you know the Jewish people have been oppressed and, and persecuted over the years. In, in terrible events, pogroms in Imperial Russia, in, in Eastern Europe and in um and of course, you know, who can forget the Holocaust, right? So this idea of of creating this space where we where we sort of successfully <laughs> resisted against um in a Gentile Empire, um, that would be a very appealing memory. When sites like Masada have become major memorials, forgetfulness may be practiced. Inconvenient details, such as massacres done by, the, by Masada's heroes, will be forgotten and in the ideal memory, and narratives may be constructed in contradiction to, contradiction to fact. Memories are also always changing. They're constantly being challenged, but others may be lying dormant, waiting to be awakened when someone writes a poem or visits a site and masada is certainly not masada is an example of of a huge thing where we have there are so many debates and and talking and and studies done on 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 social memory in many different countries and who have which have many different histories um you know a big one in debate uh, right now is is been in ukraine over the last few years you know since 2014 with um, the situation in Crimea and, and the war in the east you know there's this idea where we're more may I say ethno nationalist groups want to honor people such as uh, Stepan Bandera who was in, in a very nationalist um, group called the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists and and many talk about these groups being being fascist and they were involved in um, massacre, uh, helping the Nazis kill Jews in in Lviv or or Lvov, if you're using um, a a Russian translation, Russian uh, uh, pronunciation of that. But um, so a, a common debate among the uh, among you researchers and student uh, researchers uh, of Ukraine, is this idea: Ukraine, yes, Ukraine. Every country should have some kind of a memory. Uh, to remember and and heroes to remember and and so on. But should we honor people like Stepan Bandera? should these people be awarded hero of Ukraine awards posthumously? Should they have streets named after them? Um, and certainly in my country, Canada, we've been having this debate a little while while too. not not so much to this uh to this extreme, but there have been even um, these ideas of, of of removing statues of Johnny McDonald and um, and uh, talks about um, changing names of parks and and so on. So and, and Johnny McDonald, I don't want to compare him to um, to Stephen Bandera or anything like that. But but many look at Johnny McDonald and see him as being an agent of empire, and certainly the way that uh, Canada's First Nations people have been. Been really very badly treated, um, you know, over the years or over over the years of Canada's Canada's history. This idea of trying to reject this um, Johnny Mac, Johnny McDonald character is that that is um, that is a topic for for debate for for many people. So. So Israel and Masada are certainly not unique cases. I've just briefly talked about incident, um, examples in Ukraine and in Canada where, you know, should we go back to these places? Should we go back to these sites? And should that be our memory? Um, and, uh, and so on and things like that. So it's a very interesting thing. National memory, I find, is a very interesting thing where uh modern foreign policy gets uh modern geopolitics get into it and um an event now will bring up an event way back when and say hey this is this is this happening again so we need to you know we we will remember this event in the past to kind of kind of uh make a parallel to these events that are happening now and that certainly happened in um, in Ukraine in 2014, and kind of restarted that um, that the the issues and their memories around surrounding Stepan Bandera and and so on. So uh, I would say that that's probably probably it uh, for me today. Uh, I would like to say thanks again for for listening, and as always, the podcast uh, podcast will be continuing on, and uh, I hope to be putting out more episodes soon. And um yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode and got us thinking and and uh, and everything like that, as we all all should be trying to do. And uh, with that, you take care and um, we'll be closing out again with a little bit of the intro music on uh, with uh, music by Kevin McLeod or from incompotech.com with his song his tune Deliberate Thought, which has been used. Um, under a Creative Commons license.